Um, I'm going to invite you to turn with me back to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. And um, I was thinking about this, uh, especially as I listened to um, so many play these instruments so well this morning, even with twisted straps. Um, that uh, there was a time I played in an instrument. I grew up learning early on to play the trombone. I was never good. Um, I got by. I played it and played it and played it all through high school and, and left it. I got to college and there were many playing the guitar. And it sounded like a neat thing to learn. So um, my parents for Christmas one year got me a guitar and I took a guitar class. Um, and the thing about it, 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 much like the trombone, is I got to where I could pluck a few chords and do a little of this, a little of that, but never really well. I kind of figured out roughly what I thought were songs, that, you know, praise songs, and I would take my guitar and play along, probably really disturbing to the people that were around me as I tried to do this because, again, I wasn't very good. Um, but I never progressed. I got satisfied and somewhat complacent, and um, I definitely wasn't like Lenny, who I hear almost every day playing the guitar and strumming along and doing things in his office. And the thing is that I've noticed is I'm not alone in this, not just in guitars and in instruments, but in a lot of different things that we try to learn, we try to do, we get satisfied. We talked about this a little bit last week, that we kind of plateau. That we, we think we've kind of got it. We're okay. And I've noticed more and more that instead of us seeking to grow by having a better understanding of whatever it is we're trying to do, or God forbid that we practice what we're doing, we find that we seek more often to do what is just satisfactory. I'd never really heard this phrase as much as I did when I was um, dealing with some college students and, and even in my own master's program, it was a little different, but, but I was around these college students and one of their favorite sayings was, well, C's get degrees. True. But as we begin to find last week, God isn't just satisfied with us being good enough. That God desires more in our relationship. He desires a relationship and a life that stands out in a distinctive way from the world around us. And that's constantly that we would be progressing toward him in our relationship. At the end of Deuteronomy, um, Moses has led the people through uh, out of out of uh, Egypt, and he's, they've wandered the desert and done all the different things, and he already knows that he is not going to enter into the promised land. 
as a consequence of his own behavior. But he's, he's talking to the Israelites. I mean, he knows Joshua is going to be their next leader, and he's going to walk them into the promised land, and all Moses is getting to do is stand at the tip and look into it. And yet he comes to the people in Deuteronomy 30, and he points back to the commandments that he had already given them, and, and the various laws and directives that he had given as to help the nation, that was God had given to them, and they passed along all these different things, that they would be a distinctive people according to God's plan, that they wouldn't, that they would stand against all the different things of the nations that surrounded them, that they wouldn't become like them, but more that the people would see the benefit of following God and would want to be like them. And in verse 15, he, he states it this way, see... I set before you today life and prosperity. Then he goes on. Death and destruction. So we, we see these two different things, these two different choices that you get to have. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his way, and to keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. Then... You will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. This amazing reminder that if you do these things, this will be the result. It's what you want. It's what we all want. And yet, in the very next chapter, in verse 16 of, of chapter 31, he says... God is talking to Moses and he goes, um, by the way, you're going to rest with your fathers and these people that you've just given this instruction to, that you've spent all this time investing and leading, well, they're going to prostitute themselves to foreign gods into the land that they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And they do. And God, we, as we read through the Old Testament, God sends prophets. Prophets remind them. They fall back and come back in relationship with God. Things are blessing. Then they get, oh, we can do this on our own. And they go back and forth and back and forth. And exile happens. They lose everything. And eventually they come back. And over time, we have the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who declare a lifestyle based on rules for the sake of rules. And this, this history, this relationship, this process of rules, 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 is what stands in the background of a history because they forgot that it was about a relationship with the God and it instead became about rules. And so this is what stands be in, the, in the midst of these people that Jesus is teaching. And so as we share last week, Jesus is beginning this, what we understand is the Sermon on the Mount is what it's been called. And he's talking to his disciples. 
And at the same time, there's all these people that have gathered in the midst of his disciples that are listening in. And he declares, you are blessed. And because you are blessed, you are salt and light of the world. You're going to be preserving the world with God's love and shining God's light into every dark corner. And, and then we hear from him that he uh, insists that he didn't come to abolish the laws, that, that he came to fulfill them. That he says because there's a group out there, and I say this because there's probably a group out there that's saying, well, we've taught them what they do, it's enough. It's good enough. There's also probably a group there that's declaring, we need to get rid of all those old rules because they were for written for a different time. In a different culture. But Jesus agrees with neither of those positions. In fact, he says in verse 20 that we need to go further. We need to work this out, that, that if your righteousness does not surpass that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, then you're missing the point. And so Jesus continues in his teaching. He begins with some key discussions. He's not just pulling things out of the hat. These are discussions that have been happening around. These are decision, uh, discussions that often happened in the homes and in the, with the law and the prophets and all the different things. The different people, the leaders, they talk about these different things. And he starts talking about murder and anger and lust and adultery and divorce and your word of whether or not it really means anything. And as he begins each section, he begins it by saying, you have heard it said. He's not just speaking about, well, you've read it, or this or that. He, he's saying, you've also heard the various interpretations of what this law means. You've, you've discussed it. You've heard all the different positions that have taken place over the thousand years of Jewish life. And again, he's not speaking against the law or providing a new one. Instead, he's inviting us all to participate in a kind of living that is more. More than just about living an average, okay life. More than just checking boxes of things you do or don't do. More than just mere religious practice. He invites us to experience true life as God intended. And what we experience as we see this is that Jesus uses the same teaching methods that the other rabbis of the day did. He, he asks questions of his disciples. And he doesn't always give them the answer. He makes them work through things. He uses exaggerated examples to make his point. 
But he also does something that no other rabbi would ever do. He speaks of his own authority. He doesn't just regurgitate what others have said. He knows who he is. So if the Beatitudes that open this Sermon on the Mount were radical words in and of themselves as Jesus first spoke them, imagine how more radical these other words must have sounded to the people that were gathering because he is beginning to set a standard for the people of this kingdom that behavior is, is to a higher level than just good enough. So, so as he continues, we, we see that each te- teaching has three different elements. He has the old commandment, the new commandment, and some little steps of obedience that we are each to make. And one by one, Jesus holds up the commandment, and he doesn't say, let's get rid of it. Instead, he invites us to look deeper into the reasoning behind God's intention of that commandment. To discover the spirit of the law, to the heart of our people. That Jesus isn't just interested in giving us a new checklist of things that we are supposed to do or not to do, but that this game, because that's the game of the Pharisees and and the teachers of the law. Instead, we have a higher calling. That Jesus isn't just impressed to hear, well, I didn't murder anybody today. I could have, but I didn't. Did I mention they deserved it? But I didn't. So pat myself on the back. Jesus isn't interested in hearing, well, I didn't commit adultery today. So I must be okay. Jesus says, I expect more than okay. I've come to bring life, life to its fullest. This is about our heart. Not just the outward expressions, but it's about what propels us. So he invites us to dig deeper, to get at the root of our sinfulness, and to purge it out before anger turns into a grudge that we can't let go of, which turns into hatred for our neighbor and eventually into murder. He invites us to look at it that before lust turns into pornography addiction or leads to adultery and then divorce, we need to get hold of these things. Before an idle word becomes a lie, before a little envy blossoms into full-blown jealousy, before our apathy turns away from God's grace and love. Jesus then asks us to open our lives to him, to allow the Holy Spirit to to search out our weaknesses before they become hardened habits of sin that separate us not only from our neighbor, but more importantly from God. Jesus wants to get beyond just mere outward observance. 
He's fulfilling what Deuteronomy 36, 30 verse 6 says, that the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with your, all your soul and live. Jesus is about dropping the pretense and instead dealing with the real problems of being in relationship with others. And, and we need to remember that God gave the law out of love for us. Not just to give us tasks. He, he gave it to strengthen the community by pointing our attention toward love for our neighbor. Remember when they declare shalom, it's not just an absence of conflict. It's a wishing of the best for the other. So when, when they, we read in Matthew and in Deuteronomy chapter 30 when it says the you will, it's plural. It's not just individual. It's for the community of, of believers of God. That the law is not just about meeting our individual needs, but about creating and sustaining a community in which all of God's children can find nurture, they can find health, they can find safety, and they can find blessing. And what we find is that Jesus is intensifying the law to make us more responsible for our neighbor's well-being. As a, as a church... And even more specifically, as a board and staff, we've been through, going through a process. It started three years ago. And we've been kind of trying to look more intently in discovering what God is calling our church to be. And as a result, what we should do. We've asked a lot of different questions of various people. We've brought some people in. We've done these surveys. We've done all these things. And, and because we do it all because we have a desire to be faithful to God's call. And I admit it's a lot easier to come up with a list of things to do than ways to understand why we should do them. It's easier to say, well, this church did this, or my friend did that, or, and, and they're, they're, you know, it, and so, but the answer of that why, it's, it's really easy to remember stories of when things were, wow, in the past, than for us to imagine how our ministry and could be more effective in the here and in the now. But one thing that especially has become more and more evident to me is that our primary job as a church, as a community of believers, is first to make sure that our hearts and lives are ready to be and do what God is calling us to do. Not just more things to do, but making sure that we are truly in sync with Him. 
That if God is going, if, if we're going to become the church that God is calling us to be, if we're going to become the people of God who truly shine the light of the world, in, I mean the light of God's love into the darkness of the world, and if we're going to preserve our community with the saltiness of God's love, if we want truly to, to be a church that flourishes in the midst of God's grace and love and blessing, well, we're going to each have to make a personal investment. We're going to have to invest in our own spiritual growth as well as encouraging each other to do so. That individually and corporately, we first and foremost have to become devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. We don't sing the words in Christ alone just to sing words. It's a testimony of who we need to be. That the cost, though, of this kind of life, it's enormous. And I admit that there are going to be some who are not willing to invest in that. That there are going to be some that, that aren't willing to, to be a part of that kind of transformation because, well, I'm doing okay. I'm doing good enough. Because the cost is there, but yet at the same time, the cost of non-discipleship is even greater. The cost of being apathetic in our relationship with the God who desires to have a relationship is far greater than the ones with, that we might think might encounter. And Jesus said, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. But for us to just pay lip service to a faith that that's not going to bear fruit will be costly even more. Refusing to let Christ change us, insisting that we are fine as we are, that it's, that's, that it's enough to follow the basic rules without surrendering our whole selves to Christ's purpose. Well, that's the way of pain, sorrow, and separation from God. So, so I started wondering, well, if Jesus were here, if, if we were a part of his Sermon on the Mount, and he, he's giving his presentation here and now in our, our community, and in this time of, of the beginning of 2023, what would it sound like? Well, yeah, he's likely going to, to share the same topics because even though we have his instruction, we often haven't truly taken them to heart. And we're still dealing with issues of murder and anger and lust and our word not being worth what we think it is. But the higher standard, there's a higher standard that he continues to propel us toward. Because I don't think he's just going to pat us on the back and tell us, well, you've done a good job. You've been around here in this community for almost 100 years. Well done. God isn't satisfied because there's more. He's calling us to more. 
And so, he may also add some things like this. Well, you've heard it said that reading the devotional each day will make you a better person. But I say to you that my father longs to cultivate a deep hunger for God's word and a personal relationship that will keep you connected to him through prayer on an, with an ongoing conversation. You've heard it said that pastors are trained to do the work of the church. But I say to you that everyone who claims to follow me has been given gifts and talents for the purpose of ministry, and wasting those is a sin. You've heard it said that attending church is a good thing, that just being there, your mere presence, is enough. But I say to you that you are the church, and everything you do or say or think makes the church what it is. Again, you've heard it said that volunteering brings blessings. But I say to you that volunteers use discretionary time and service is optional. But there's nothing optional about following me. Being a disciple is a 24-7 commitment. And Christ continues to call us to a higher standard of living in the kingdom of God. It's not good enough to be good enough. I'm not saying about attacking more and attaching more checklists. What I'm saying is that we are called to a deeper and more fulfilling relationship with Christ than where we are now. Because it doesn't end until we are with Christ. We are blessed. We are salt and light. We are evidence of God is working here amongst us. We, yes, we are imperfect, but God is perfect. We have, have had and continue to deal with sin in the midst of the body, but Christ has died for the sin that we wouldn't have to deal with those things if we would depend fully on him and focus our attention on him. That yet we are still called to grow and never be satisfied with where we are, but to continue to pursue Christ and what it means in our great, having a greater understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus for the transformation of our world. But that transformation will only happen if it begins in each and every one of us. For we are called to stay centered on Christ in everything that we do. So my question for you is, where do you stand? What's our priorities? Is good enough good enough? Because yes, we're going to have to answer that as a community, but as a community, we can't fully answer that until each and every one of us answers that for ourselves. Myself included that we are called to more. Because God has something amazing planned. But if we're not in tune 
we're going to miss it. That God wants to get to the heart. That our relationship would be passionate as followers of Christ. That we would know His Word and seek His Word and seek His presence and not just call it, well, revival is if we just feel good in a worship service, but that revival is something that happens in, in the midst of God's people as we prepare for each and every time of community gathering and worship, that then we would be sent out and do something radical in the midst of this community as a result of Christ's work in our lives. That people would see the salt and light. We're called to more. Are you ready? Heavenly Father, you call us. You began even before the cross that your ways are higher than ours. Your knowledge is higher than ours. And you set your people upon to, to be an anointing in the midst of your creation that has fallen in sin. And often we take our eyes off. We lose focus and we settle because we like to be like everybody else. But you continue to call us more, and, and through the cross you have empowered us to a life that is full and rich and blessed. May we focus in. May we receive your grace and mercy, and may it change us radically from who we were to who we are becoming, that each and every day we would become more and more like you, both individually and corporately as your bride. We give you thanks today, Lord. And as we go out, may your church not still remain here, but may we fully understand that the church is sent into the world to preach the good news of salvation for all. In your name we pray, amen. Go and be a blessing. You are dismissed.